Lady entrepreneurs and secular Sunday drinkers, order yourself a fresh pie from Salvatore's, put on your finest 10 karat electroplated gold chain, and hey, I'm walking here! What are you, some kind of knucklehead? Hey, F off, it's time to talk tall to me. Yeah. Yeah, it's always it's always time to talk tall to me around here. Welcome back, I am Omen Thomas Sade. And I am Nick McGill. Together we are the fecklessest of moans. And this is Talk Tall to Me. An unnecessarily loud construction zone on the JT line of prog rock in which not my monkey, not my circus Nick, and oh, you some kind of a tough guy omen, will shout right outside your window about how much this neighborhood has changed. <laughs> and by this neighborhood, I mean every track that rock band Jethro Tull has ever produced. And by how much they've changed, I mean how much we friggin' love them. That's right. We're going to go all the way from the Martin Bar Brooklyn Botanical Gardens near Bedford Ave down to the Jonathan Noist Net Cost Market on Neptune Ave between 5th and 6th Street. We'll stop off at Doan Perry's Diker Beach Playground and throw some bourree bread at the Passion Play Pigeons. And then finally drive up to the Andrew Giddings Gowanus Gas Station on Garfield Place next to 4th Ave. And we'll end up next to the old flute factory that they turned into luxury apartments for trust fund hipsters and have a little nosh at the Dr. Demi Disease Deli. And maybe, just maybe, we'll see the apothecary of Atlantic Ave, the Catman of Coney Island, the curmudgeon of Canarsie, look who finally showed up, it's Ian frickin' Anderson. That was delightfully absurd. That's what happens, Nick, when you give me more time to write the triptych. <laughs> I regret nothing. I, I'm, I'm proud and happy of it. Did you say not my monkey, not my problem? Not my monkey, not my circus. Not my circus? What is what is that? You never heard that expression? Never. Oh, really? It, it's like, hey, that's not my problem. Oh, okay. So just like someone complaining to you and you're like, whatever? Yeah, or when something's happening at work and it's outside your department. Oh, yeah. You're like, oh, not my monkey, not my circus. That feels right. I'm going to use that from now on. You should. So, Nick, this is an exciting day here at Talk Tall to Me because today we get to listen to and then talk tall about another song from the Jethro Tull catalog. I know. We just started doing it. It's awfully exciting. It's good to change things up. (laughs) We are on the second of three Christmas tracks this season. Last week was some lovely instrumental. This week, we're going to dive into the first snow on Brooklyn. Diving in headfirst into the snow. (laughs) We'll hit a sauna first, so it really shocks us. You can never tell those piles. Is it just the snow, or is it a pile of trash that's been covered up by a thin layer of snow? Lightly dusted in in white, pristine snow. Yeah. Don't trust anything in Brooklyn, I think, is the moral of the story. Well, uh, without further ado, let's put this clean song into our dirty ears. Nick, so there is the first snow on Brooklyn. Was that the first tears you've shed today, Homan? You know, this, (laughs) this song really gets me. I've alluded to that fact before, but... Yeah, I'm usually the one who's the sap, and you're uh, 
you're you're showing a little soft side here. Well, this this melts my sap. What can I say? <laughs> yeah, it's it's warm enough, and yet cold enough. It did melt your exactly. Sap. <laughs> now this song has something that traditionally gets you maudlin, which is an incredible string section. Yes, strings, baby, strings, and this one we think is the actual strings. The oh yes, the Sturz Quartet that was mentioned uh, last week in place of the silly but still lovely uh, synth strings. Yes, so that would be Gabor Skonka on first violin, Peter Skilvsky on second violin, Gilia Bento on violin, and Andres Sturzk on cello. None of that was offensive. I'm sure that all of those were exactly as they are intended to be pronounced. <laughs> but what a lovely string section it is. I mean, it really takes us back to the the good old days of Dee Palmer and her arrangements. Mm-hmm. And it adds such a fabulously emotional element to this song. It does. Of all of the songs to have the like the real strings, this was a pretty darn good choice. If you look at this album... If you take away the stuff that is kind of rehashed older material mm-hmm. and maybe take away the... The traditional carols. Take away the traditional stuff, there's not much left. No. Birthday card at Christmas, this one. A winter snowscape. I mean, that's an instrumental, but still that's, yeah. that's new. Yep. This is one of the big original pieces, original pieces of writing mm-hmm. for this album. And Wow. He put it all into this song and couldn't do any more. He just fell back onto his fainting couch and said, we'll do covers for the rest. <laughs> it reminds me of the track off of the Ian Anderson solo album. I believe it's Rupee's Dance. Mm-hmm. Pigeon flying over Berlin Zoo. And there's really no thematic or musical similarity, but <laughs> but it is the same era, and it does have a little bit of a similar feel. I, I I just find it interesting that the that the new content on this album is this incredible emotional ballad. Mm, yeah, the album starts with the kind of kind of lighthearted, silly birthday card at Christmas, which is the other, like, really original one. But by the time you get to near the end of the album, you get this really, really deep, kind of retrospective, sorrowful piece. What would you say, thematically, if there was a song that, from the canon, that is most similar to this song, thematically, what would you say it is? You have something in mind? I do, I do, I do. Okay, it's Peabroke, without a doubt. Exactly, okay, exactly. So this It's just a modern-day Peabroke. It's modern-day Peabroke at Christmas time. Yeah. Which is, I mean, Peabroke is one of the most kind of emotional songs, I think, for, for both of us. Yeah. Hi- historically, because it's just so, I mean, the, the story of fumbled love, I guess you could say. That's, a, that's an American football term. Ooh, fumbled love. <laughs> That is resonant for for both of us, I think for a lot of people. Yeah, definitely. There's something even more kind of emotionally masochistic about this song. 
because I think with P-Broke, and we'll obviously we'll get more into it when we talk about the lyrics, but with P-Broke, there's that sense of, oh, I was expecting one thing, mm-hmm. and I got another. Right. With this, it's, I was fully expecting disappointment, and now I'm feeling it so hard. I'm not disappointed that I'm disappointed. I'm fe- yes, I was expecting <laughs> to be hurt, and it's hurting so much more than I could ever imagine. Yeah. And be honest, you have a nostalgia for your days living in the city. Like, is there some connection there? I think we'll talk more about that. Yes, it's very well placed. I mean, the setting of it is very well expressed and does give me that feeling of being in Brooklyn. But I had a Mm -hmm. connection to this song before I ever lived in Brooklyn. I mean, this album came out when we were still in high school or early college. I think it was our graduating year. I think it was like 2003 that both this and Rupee's Dance came out. Yes, 2003, that was the year that we graduated high school. So I'd never even been to Brooklyn at that point. Oh, fair enough. And the song still affected me because of my maudlin, lovelorn sensibilities. And back then, even though you didn't realize it back then, you were you were still yearning for modernity as opposed to, like, Mexico, New York. Whereas I really glommed on to something like P-Broke because I wanted to live in the woods as a medieval archer. <laughs> Both of us were trying to escape, but in different directions. Exactly. Yeah. D- different directions along the chronological time zone. And here we are back. Halfway in between. Halfway in between. Maybe. In 2003. That's right. Speaking of chronological time zone, how long is this song? Ooh, if I had to guess, I would say four and a half minutes. Pretty darn close. It's just over five. Okay, 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 yeah. great. And speaking of time, this is in what time signature, would you say? Oh, I didn't know I had homework. <laughs> My favorite new way to torture you. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't count. But it feels fairly simple. It feels like a... Is it 4-4? Yep, absolutely. Okay. Now, whenever you say 4-4, that could mean that it's being counted in 2-2 or 8-8. But all of that you could call common time because it is a regular time signature. However you want to subdivide it, yes, it's basically 4-4. Okay. For us plebs, 4-4 works just fine. One, three, four, one, two, three, four, and a one, two, three, four, and one, doodle, doodle, three, four. <laughs> I, I followed it. I followed it. And actually, there's a wonderful example in this song of the subdivision of music. Hmm. Okay. What do you mean? Well, if you listen to the tambourine. Oh, sure. Yeah. There is some verse in which, and I think this happens a couple of times, where the tambourine is playing on the three. Okay. So Ian is singing, flew in on the evening plane, and the tambourine is going, always on the three of that four beat measure. I flew in on the evening plane. And then it switches to doing 16th notes. One e and a two e and a three e and a four e and a ta 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 ta. A yellow cab from JFK, the long way round. And it's a great example of how, with just one instrument, changing the tempo and the subdivision of the measure, it suddenly gives you this bigger sense of energy. It feels like time is moving differently, even though it's the exact same tempo. You get that sense of excitement and speeding up, just because there's a different subdivision with that beat. Yeah. And the tambourine is kind of tertiary enough that it's not 
that it's a it's a more subtle kind of subconscious thing. Yeah, you could not notice it necessarily, mm-hmm. but your body will notice it. Yeah. Oh, it, it tingled right about there. It Definitely. does. It does, though. I mean, we're joking, but we're not. Slightly. We're like never just a slight joke. Never not joking. We're not far from a joke. Look around you. Within five feet is a joke. Stop the car. I think we ran over a joke. <laughs> it's just a clown. Quick, sh- <laughs> put it out of its misery. <laughs> Other things musically, the base of this song is, I would say, kind of a, a, a mixture of the flute and Ian's acoustic guitar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the acoustic is very, very nice. Yep. Then I do strongly believe that it's Ian playing. Yeah. At this point, I'm, I'm pretty convinced, especially because we do have Martin coming in with licks and stings here and there. Very subtly. Yeah. With great subtlety comes great responsibility. Martin has all of the responsibility, and he bears it well. He does, and subtly. And subtly. At, like, I think it's right around 15 seconds. Speaking of Martin, he's got a couple of like stings before then, but at, at 15, there's this mournful peal from the guitar, this peal that I don't hear anywhere else. But it's such a curious sound. I think it's the guitar. It might it might be synth, but I think it's the guitar. Is it such a good idea that I'm here again? Yeah, wow, wow. It sounds almost like a steel guitar, like a slide yes, on, a, on a steel guitar, like a lap. Great observation, Nick. Well picked up. We've seen him use, what's it called? The Slide. The, like, just a slide? Yeah. yeah, we've seen him use the slide before. Yeah, but that could just that could be just him giving a little bit of vibrato or even using a whammy bar. I'm not sure if he uses one. There's a lot of different ways to make that sound. It could even just be on a sort of distortion setting or using a pedal. But, Mm -hmm. whoa, it is haunting. Yeah. And, that's again, I think that's the only place in this song where that comes in. Where that specific sound is used, yes. Mm -hmm. Another sound that we hear in this song that we hear more of in this era of Tall, Andy, and Anderson is those really extreme flute bending, the flute bending notes. Oh, sure, yeah. So the science behind that is sort of interesting. You know, the flute is played by blowing air across the mouthpiece, and that gives you a unique opportunity to bend notes in, in a way that a lot of instruments can't. If you're strong enough, you can actually bend the flute. That's why a lot of people play piccolos, because they're easier to yeah. bend. Yeah. They go through piccolos, like, a lot, but it's worth it. You can get them pre-bent. <laughs> If you change the position, if you change the angle at which you are blowing air across the mouthpiece, you can affect the tonality of the note, Mm -hmm. which gives you, A, a bigger power to be out of tune if you're not not very good. Right, yeah. But if you have an incredibly well-controlled embouchure and know your instrument really well, you can bend the note. And if you have been playing it for as long as Ian has in 2003, you can bend the note to... A different note. I mean, he does all these things where he goes, he plays it up and goes, 
and that's all one fingering, which is crazy. Yeah. Is it physically turning the flute? Yes, yes. If you have the flute like this, you would rotate it. Roll it, yeah. Roll it away from you or toward you 15, 20 degrees. I think I've seen him do that. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. And in this case, it gives that sense, just like we heard with Martin on the guitar, it gives that sense of, uh, it's like a train that you hear across the countryside. We talked about Hmm. on a previous episode about the high and lonely sound featured in in some uh, mournful bluegrass music. Yeah. It gives you that sense of just like, oh, the distance is killing my heart. And there's there's really, it's kind of strange. There's something so much more potent about the slide of the note change as opposed to like hearing that actual step of note. Yeah. You know, it's, I don't know. It's just, there's something so much more powerful and sorrowful, I guess. And maybe if we weren't listening to such a sad song, if it were a peppy song, it would sound cool and exciting. But in this, they're certainly using it to its strongest advantage. We've talked about how good the band is at matching the sounds to the concepts that they're talking about. Yes, absolutely. And this is a great instance in which I think that one of the themes of the song, obviously we'll talk more about it soon, is memory. Mm. And the way that memory, especially over a long period of time, distorts and... Some parts of it end up being very, very strongly in focus. Some parts are completely overlooked or deleted, and some parts morph. And And when you look back on a time that was previous, when you were remembering something, time sort of bends and warps in that way. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think that's one of the attributes of nostalgia, is that sense of, like, you're not actually remembering a thing. You're remembering your memory of remembering a thing yeah. after you forgot about how it actually was. And it's also fluid, too. Very fluid. It will gradually evolve and and change and flow into something else. Many of my memories are covered in fluids. (laughs) Your memories are just of fluids. So (laughs) the tea that you had this morning (laughs) when you took a bath when you were five. Yeah. Uh, Do you remember this? uh, Do you remember that wedding? Which fluid was that? Which fluid? Oh, I had champagne there. That was my 180th glass of champagne. Ah, yes. That was great champagne. It's a dewy decimal system, but it's very dewy. (laughs) Dripping decimal system. Get a tarp. (laughs) Ian's voice in this song is, speaking of needing a tarp, oozing with Mm. tenderness. And the first snow of Brooklyn takes a Christmas card upon the pavement. The cap leaves a disappearing trace, and it's gone. It's remorsefully saccharine. There's such feeling there, and it's so it's so rare that we get a song like this from Ian that it's it's so much more powerful in those very few instances of real regret and remorse and sorrow. We talked about this on a previous song. I'm trying to remember if it was Pavane, and I think it was. But we talked about this this sense of rather than it being a externally focused flute, that it was mm. that the focus of his playing seemed to be more internal. Yeah. Which, rather than blasting us out the back of our heads, makes us want to take a step forward into the world of his voice and, and his story that he's weaving. Yeah. He leaves the door open and the light on, and it's inviting, but it could be a little scary to go in there but we're drawn to that it's it's the house that you're not sure is going to pass out candy at halloween but you try anyway but you f- you feel like if they are going to it's going to be full-sized candy bars 
that's it. You've heard half of the rumors are full-size candy bars. The other half is Murder. they kidnap children. Yeah, <laughs> Raisins, worse. Oh, even worse. I, I really like raisins. <laughs> yes. yes. It's time I confess. You and the most sensual Puritans of the 1800s. Sensual? Mmm, <laughs> have a raisin, my lady. Yeah, in public. <laughs> Don't pass me a raisin. They should gossip. <laughs> so you, you often bring up the synesthetic side of the songs for Tull. What, if any, imagery do you get when you hear this song, when you see this song? You mean just going off of the music, kind of trying not to pay attention to the lyrics? You can, I mean, if it's just like the narration of the song, that's great. But like, is there anything else that inspires you on this song that fills your vision? I would say that there is definitely a cinematic element to it. And yeah. and having lived in Brooklyn and, and you know, having a, an emotional connection to New York City, I do have a very kind of specific set of images that I associate with this song. But but just from the musical standpoint, there is a... One of the beautiful things about this song is there's this incredible pull between the hopeful sounds, the rising mm, sounds, yeah. and then the terribly mournful minor chords and drawn-out tones. Yeah. So there's this pull between the dark and the light feelings of this song. Even if you look at that intro, that's all rather hopeful. Mm -hmm. And then it immediately shifts to, dum. Yeah. Dum, bum, bum. Then your heart falls out flopping onto the floor like a fish you caught from a stream that's impressive to catch a fish from a stream where else do you catch them a lake the ocean the grocery store the grocery store the fishmonger throws it to you and you catch it ah uh, and then comparing that to the experience of living in new york and specifically in brooklyn mm -hmm. there is this incredible tension in living in new york between the excitement and the hope of being in such a big city with so much going on. Right, right. And the soul-crushing emptiness of the anonymity and coldness and uncaringness of living in such a big city. Also right, right, yeah. And when you drive across the city, as the song describes, you get both of those things in stark contrast. And also, you know, often the weather itself kind of plays into that. You, It's topographical enough. It's hydroponic enough? No, why am I looking for? It's uppy-downy enough that you often get views of other parts of the city. And so you can be in a cloudy area, but be looking out at a sunny area. Oh, yeah. And see the sun reflecting off the buildings and the and the landmarks over there. But here it's it's gloomy or vice versa. Yeah. So the perspective that it, that it allows you, partly because it's on the coast, is really fascinating. I feel like... Again, like I said earlier, I'm usually the sappier one, but I think there is that extra connection for you in this. I mean, I like it, but it's it's not doesn't move me to tears. This song is almost custom made to to hit me in the feels. Yeah, I I was just going to say I think it might just be the Brooklyn aspect that it's it's so specifically placed that it's kind of it's just too foreign for me to connect. Before we move on to the actual content. Yep. I want to give a quick shout out to Jonathan Noyce because the the job that he's doing in this song is so 
serviceable. <laughs> it's so satisfactory. Oh, it's fiercely average. It, is. it it does it does what it needs to do, and I'm trying to remember. I feel like it may have been him that we saw an interview with, and he described himself as a stealth mm. bassist. Yeah, I think you're right. Yep. He was like, "I want to be the bassist where you know you don't ever hear him playing, but you just feel it." life goals that's great and it works you know and there's there's a at the very end we have a a quick little riff of his right at the fade out that's just delightful he's doing exactly the amount that's needed not a note more or a note fewer he's under raps era peggy but he's enjoying it whereas it was just punishment for david peg Peg to was be like, so reined in. Where did my life go wrong? <laughs> yeah. Jonathan Noyce is like, this is a very good day I'm having. <laughs> Him just like sublime up on stage thinking about his grocery list. Yeah, yeah. Nick, anything else to say musically about this song? No, 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 no. I'm very excited to get into the content. So, so let's. Let's do that. So we said this is... A modern day pee broke. Full disclosure, you and I did not talk about that before we we sat down to do this episode. We came to that of our own volition. Yeah, I mean, I think it's inevitable to reach that conclusion if you have an encyclopedic familiarity with the songs of Jethro Tull. <laughs> yes, that helps. Yeah. Now, Nick, before we jump into the content, what is Brooklyn? <sighs> I know, I know, I know, but some people may not be aware. It is a borough, borough. Yeah, bu- did it well done. Borough <laughs> of uh, <laughs> it is one of the five boroughs. Of... One of the five boroughs on. It's not no it, in New York City. It wouldn't be on the island of Manhattan because correct. The island of Manhattan is Manhattan. The other boroughs are the Bronx, which is part of mainland New York State, uh, on the east side of the Hudson River. Then there's Staten Island, which we mostly don't talk about, is only really significant because of what we do in the shadows and the Wu-Tang Clan. But that is a proper island which exists between the lower bay of New York and the Arthur Kill River. And then Brooklyn and Queens are located on Long Island, Brooklyn being the southwesternmost part that runs pretty much alongside Manhattan and sticks out a bit into the bay going down to Rockaway Park and uh, Coney Island and then Queens being the sort of upper bit that is closer to the Bronx and then if you go out past Queens then you are on Long Island in Nassau County. So a fun little language tidbit you said the Arthur Kill River Mm -hmm. so kill is a Dutch word meaning like a stream or inlet, mm-hmm. an arm of the sea. Mm-hmm. So if you're coming up from Westchester County area, you're going to run into wall kill, trout kill, all of those. But they also have river, so they're also a little kind of redundant. The wall kill river is the wall river river. Or the Catskill Mountains kill in there. Oh, cool. I didn't even think about that one. Even the word Brooklyn itself is a derivation from a Dutch word, which refers to a Dutch city called Brooklyn or something. (laughs) (laughs) Well done. Which goes back to the the 10 hundreds. So 
a lot of the history of Brooklyn is tied up in the, the old Dutch settlements. Of course, it was later taken over by the English. Right. The Dutch migrated down to Pennsylvania. And then we and then there have been waves of other immigrants through Brooklyn, which has really made it what it is. You know, you had the, yeah. the, the Greeks, the Italians, the, the Poles, the, the Irish, the Irish. Of course, there's a significant African-American population there. And it's really a beautiful melting pot. And, and, if, and anyone who's ever lived there will tell you how much it's changed. But that has been the case ever since the Dutch came and kicked off the native population. <laughs> yes. Ever since the Dutch came and stole the land from the Lenape. I'm sure the, the Lenape were sitting around being like, man, this neighborhood has really changed. <laughs> Talk about gentrification. God. <laughs> I gotta go all the way up to Red Hook to find a deer. <laughs> okay. So that is Brooklyn. So that's Brooklyn. So yeah, it's smack in the middle of New York City. So it's fun the way that Ian describes it. Flew in on the evening plane. Is it such a good idea that I'm here again? I could cut my cold breath with a knife and taste the winter of another life. Oh. I flew in on the evening plane. Is it such a good idea that I'm here again? And I could cut my cold breath with a knife. Then, of course, we get the kind of geographical reference. A yellow cab from JFK the long way round. I didn't mind. It gave me thinking time before I ran aground on rocky memories and choking tears. I believe it only rained round here in 30 years. A yellow cab from JFK the long way round. I didn't mind. It gave me thinking time before I ran aground. On rocky memories and choking tears I believe it only rain around here these 30 years Well, I don't think that's quite true. It does snow in Brooklyn fairly often. But to me, that tells us that that he hasn't been back in 30 years. Right, 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 right. And there's something magical about the snow, and maybe the last time he was there, he was with this person, and there was that magic there. So with them being a part... Of the snow. The magic of the snow, right. Uh, But also the magic of the relationship. Right, exactly. And since they've been apart, that magic was not there to produce the snow. Right, and so, using the kind of logic of the heart, it hasn't snowed here in 30 years. Right, yeah, the logical progression, the allegorical progression. Yeah. JFK is way, 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 way down in the south part of Brooklyn. So taking a cab from JFK, I mean, either way, taking the cab or taking a the subway, it's going to be a long time to get into any kind of central Brooklyn. JFK is JFK Airport, for clarification. JFK Airport, yes, thank you. Yeah. John F. Kennedy Airport. Right. The long way round would probably be taking the Van Wyck Expressway, another Dutch name. Mm, yeah. Which runs all the way up almost into, basically into Queens, and then you can go down again. So what's the quick way to go? There isn't one. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could, I mean, yeah, it's all going to be the, the, it's all going to be the long way. Traffic's terrible. Yeah, by default, it is the long way round. I mean, I guess the long way round could also be the Belt Parkway, which would take you down all the way around the southern part of Brooklyn, and then, then it heads up to Manhattan. Okay. Or the short way, I guess, could refer to the, to the subway. Oh, sure. Fair enough. Yeah. Basically, any highway, you have to circle around the main part of Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. 
so he, at some point between the choking down the tears, he gets out of the cab because his cold feet are drumming. Uh-huh. He's walking somewhere. Uh-huh. So it's not the cab dropped him off at his destination. No, but in the neighborhood. Yeah, his feet are drumming. He wants the experience to walk up to this point. Maybe it's a walk that he did every day back when he was in, in Brooklyn. Yeah, sure. You know, And he, he becomes a little bit of a creeper. You don't see me in the shadows from your cozy window frame. Now it's the first snow on Brooklyn And my cold feet are drumming You don't see me in the shadows from your cozy window frame Kind of poking his head in. Uh-huh. Good thing he's a white man. Good, Yeah, safe. Totally safe. And last night, who was in your parlor wrapping presents in the late hour to place upon your pillow as the morning came? And last night, who was in your parlor wrapping presents in the late hour to place upon your pillow as the morning came? So it, it almost does give you the sense that it's literally Christmas morning. Yeah, right. Which is going to be the loneliest time to be out on the street. If it's like literally, you know, 3 a.m., if you took a long late night flight, a red-eye flight, and you got in in the middle of the night, and you're standing around in, in the wee hours of the morning in Brooklyn, that's going to be very, very cold, both literally and emotionally. Yeah, you have the, the New York City equivalent of tumbleweed, which is a white plastic bag flying across the breeze. Yes, or depending on where you are in Brooklyn, it could be tumbleweave. <laughs> Have you ever seen, no, I, I know that sounds like a joke, but it, it is the literal truth that you often will see the wigs of, of women or parts of them that get tangled up in things and blowing down the street. We used to call it tumbleweave. Hilarious. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that line, and last night, who was in your parlor, that is, that was the biggest red flag for Peabroke to me. Absolutely. There are strange boots in the hall, strange slippers by the fire. Uh-huh. A candlelit dinner for two has been laid. Candlelit table for two has been laid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're seeing this across time. It is, it's a mirroring of things Oof. that have happened for millennia. Yeah, I, yeah. It almost reminds me of that Sting song. Everything always reminds you of a Sting song. Well, I met a Sting kick recently. <laughs> it reminds me of that song. I think it's called A Thousand Years, where he basically describes himself being reincarnated <laughs> over, across <laughs> generations and generations and generations. A thousand years, a thousand That is the stingiest song I could ever think of. Seeking the love of the same woman who always rejects him. <laughs> kind of Highlandery. It's sad boy Highlandery. Yeah, yeah, it's emo Highlander. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, it's, that sounds very sting to me. Yeah. Now, in my cinemagraphic, in my cinematic version of this song, I'm picturing one of the old Brooklyn brownstones. Absolutely, yes. That exist in the Park Slope neighborhood. When my wife and I lived in the corner of Bedside, it was 
it had a lot of those old brownstones that were not as well kept up. The neighborhood was less expensive, but these houses were just gorgeous. You know, not as expensive, meaning they would still sell for multiple millions of dollars. Right. But they have these huge staircases which go up almost an entire level off of the street. And then you can sort of see into the parlor windows from there. And often in the, in the Yuletide season, you can see people's decorations and they put lights out. And it's very, it's very, very beautiful. But being on, again, being on the outside of that feels even colder than it would if you were in a forest. Yeah, absolutely. Because you're walking alone in the forest. It's just you, you alone. Whereas as you're walking to this brownstone, you're looking, you're able to see in every window mm-hmm. and see people having dinner or well i mean if if it's three in the morning probably not but but still you see signs of happiness and people coexisting and cohabiting with one another yeah now the snow in this song nick kind of takes on a character of its own wouldn't you say yeah i think that's accurate the role of it specifically in this in this song is to obscure further the presence of the singer he leaves with no trace exactly no evidence of his his being there the first snow on brooklyn paints a christmas card upon the pavement the cab leaves a disappearing trace and then it's gone and the snow covers my footsteps deep regrets and heavy heartbeats when you wake you'll never see the spot i was standing on oh my god and the first snow on brooklyn paints a christmas card upon the pavement Leaves a disappearing trace and it's gone. And the snow covers the footprints, deep regrets and heavy heartbeats. When you wake, you'll never see the spot that I was standing on. The cab does leave, so he the cab stayed there. Yeah. He just walked up to the, the building. Possibly, or it drove past him, or or he walked away from it. I mean, either way, it kind of yeah. fades into the distance. Yeah, he disappears like the memory of him three decades ago. Exactly, and I think that, you know, what I love about this song is that is that I, I think one of the most painful things that a human being can experience is having experienced something and feeling like they are the only person who remembers that. Hmm. You know, and I think in this specific story, it's clearly there's some kind of a, a romantic relationship. And the implication is that only one of those people involved has any memory of it. And the other person is standing out in the cold, yeah. looking in at this life that he imagines might have might have been his. Whew. When someone values a memory or, or a thing and holds it at such high regard, and then the other person with whom you share that memory, it just throws it away yeah it's very devastating yeah like a christmas card in the trash on on january 1st january 1st not even recycled it goes right in the trash most of the recycling goes in the trash anyway in brooklyn yeah that's the, that's that's the, now the, the funny thing about the weather is that new york city can typically be quite mild at times yeah in the winter however it can also be really nasty and really really cold i remember one year that i was living there it dropped to 10 degrees Fahrenheit and stayed there for three weeks straight. Yeah. And when you're in the city and you're surrounded by pavement, it's not just the cold in the air. You, It's like the buildings, the structures are sucking any heat that exists right out of you. Right. Yeah. The advantage of being on the island is the water stays warm for a while and the land 
stays warm for a while and it creates kind of this atmosphere that keeps everything in. Microclimate. But it, once everything starts to turn over to the cold, if it's that cold, yeah. it's the exact same process. You're, everything stays cold. Yeah. Now, I want to talk about something that I find really amusing about this song. Okay. The thin wind stings my face to pull collar up. I could murder coffee in a grande cup. No welcome deli. There's no Starbucks here. A dime for a quick phone call could cost me dear. The thin wind stings my face pull collar up. I could murder coffee in a grande cup. No welcome deli, there's no Starbucks here. A dime for a quick phone call could cost me dear. There's two things that I want to point out. One is that this is the first mention of Starbucks that we have in a Jethro Tull song. Yeah, he talks about coffee in Rupee's Dance, but he doesn't name Starbucks specifically. No, but do you remember when we went to a concert? I forget which one it was. He made a mention about Starbucks. Did he? He did. And I thought it was so weird because I was in this kind of damn the man, like all corporations are bad phase yeah. of my life. Because, you know, we were like 19, 20 years old. And we heard Ian me like, oh, I love getting off the plane and having an espresso from Starbucks. And I was just like, what? How could? What, <laughs> what do you mean? But then I realized, you know, yeah, if you're traveling internationally for your job, something that's going to be consistently exactly the same almost everywhere everywhere in the world would be a huge comfort for you. Sure. Yeah. And the fact that it has such a broad footprint, it is it is reliable on, on many levels. Exactly. Now, I would be interested to look up a map of where there were Starbucks in Brooklyn in 2003, because mm. there are not that few of them. Maybe it's really, oh, well, it says there's no Starbucks here. I was thinking maybe just the fact of, of it being at a time when he couldn't, like when the store was closed. But it, it sounds like it's it's not present there. Which begs the question, what neighborhood could he possibly have been in? Yeah, we need to uh, we need to do some sleuthing. He could have been in Borough Park on Utrecht Avenue. There's a dearth of Starbucks there. He could have been in Kensington. It's a Starbucks desert. Yeah, yeah. He might have been in my old neighborhood in Windsor Terrace. If he was in Gowanus or Park Slope, there are a number of Starbucks very close to that by that he could have gone to. He was just so devastated. He he didn't. He wasn't even thinking. He wasn't thinking. He couldn't think clearly. Yeah, exactly. All I need to do is walk a block, and there will be a Starbucks. <laughs> Throw a rock. Walk a block. Talk the talk. Pull up my socks. Do not throw rocks at Starbucks, please. Just don't buy their coffee. Just don't don't patronize them. That's all. I'm not saying you shouldn't throw rocks at Starbucks. Oh, fair enough. You taking the extra the extra mile. Now, I, in my old age, I admit to enjoying Starbucks, and for the same reasons that Ian does, it's consistent. <laughs> yeah. Anything else, Omen? About first snow on Brooklyn. Were you asking me if that was what I was finishing what your I was sentence? <laughs> <laughs> Anything else about first snow on Brooklyn? Just that we want to go to the last verse and review the thesis of the song. Some things are best forgotten. Some are better half-remembered. Yeah. I just thought that I might be there on your on your Christmas night. Oh. Some things are best forgotten. Some are better half-remembered. I just thought that I might be there on your, on your Christmas night. The half-remembered thing, like, really 
really kills me that like if he hadn't come back and he had just kept the nostalgic memories it wouldn't have been ruined for him absolutely because he could still have the memory he could still have the illusion of oh yeah if things had worked out differently i could be having this life in brooklyn whatever yeah i could have this this relationship but now having gone there and seen it for himself he it has gotten in the way of his memory of it it has the coldness of reality has forced itself on him. Just as as the the snow falls upon his shoulders, so does the realization that, boy, howdy, this was kind of a big mistake. And now this is going to be the new memory for the rest of his life, that feeling exactly. of being on the outside being cold. Yeah. So some things are best forgotten or half yeah. remembered. Yeah. Which half? The top half. The inside half. Hmm. Fortunately, next week, we're going back to some instrumentals, so it is less, it's a little less depressing, but we're talking... But we'll do our best. But we'll, we'll get there, because we're doing We Five Kings, which is fun and boppy, but Winter Snowscape, which is, whew, who doggy, that's a... That is basically First Snow on Brooklyn in just sonic form, in my opinion. And written by Martin Barr. <gasps> mm-hmm. Merciful... That is a delight. Until next week, I am the deep regrets that you can get at the corner bodega, Omen Thomas said. I am eating a snack of blizzard bites, Nick McGill. We could murder a coffee in a grande cup, the feckless momes. And this is the last snow on Brooklyn. Gray and slushy and reminiscent of something better. Talk tall to me. Remember, if you wish, this is just a Christmas song. I suppose it all started with the snow. You see, it is a very special kind of snow. A snow to make the happy happy and the giddy even prettier. A snow to make a home coming homier and natural enemies friends. Natural. <laughs> For it was the first snow of the season. And as any child can tell you, there's a certain magic to the very first snow. Especially when it falls on the day before Christmas. For when the first snow is also a Christmas snow, <laughs> well, something wonderful is bound to happen.